0: When you eat dinner on Star Wars decorated placemats. You know you're a mother when you stop tears by taping broken crayons back together. You know you're a mother when you long for nothing more than just a good night's sleep, or you buy jelly according to the characters on the jar. You know you're a mother when you know the best way to scrape dried Cheerios off the floor, and you find you never have to buy another Christmas ornament. You know your mother when you share the storage closet with a miniature broom and vacuum cleaner. And you take phone messages in crayon. You know your mother when you always buy the Sam's Club big pack of batteries, but you can never find one when you need one. You know your mother when you find action figures in your washing machine and you find yourself cutting your spouse's meat into bite-sized pieces. Motherhood. During bedtime prayers one night, a mother was talking to her six-year-old daughter, Michelle, about God. She said, Daddy is your father on earth, and God is your father in heaven. Everyone who believes in God is his child. Michelle thought a bit and asked, Who is God's wife? And mom smiled and answered, God doesn't have a wife. She quickly asked, but where is the woman who gets everything done? (laughs) Kids say the craziest thing, and usually... It's mom that gets to hear them said. Today is Mother's Day. It's a day to honor mothers and motherhood. What makes a woman a mother? Cooking meals, cleaning messes, changing diapers, feeding the baby, providing taxi service for dance lessons, soccer practice, baseball games, piano lessons, or modeling class. We have soccer moms, mothers of preschoolers, mothers of teenagers, mothers helping their daughters prepare for prom or for their wedding, mothers counseling their sons through the trauma of a broken romance. Mothers fill so many roles. So how much is motherhood worth anyway? There was a report on salary.com that calculated the price of a mom in economic terms. This report assigns a salary to stay at home moms based on the jobs she does in a normal work week. They include 10 jobs that moms do on an average day. Housekeeper, daycare center teacher, cook, computer operator, laundry machine operator, custodian, facilities manager, van driver, CEO, and psychologist. On the date of this report, the price of a mom was worth over $138,000 a year. This included the, an average of 52 hours overtime or a 92-hour work week. Turn to your husband and say, I deserve a raise. What makes a mother? Biologically speaking, a woman becomes a mother. When she becomes pregnant, she gives birth to a child or she adopts a child. But motherhood is much more than just that. Motherhood is not something that can be taken for granted because not everyone gets the chance to be a mother. Judy and I have friends for whom Mother's Day is painful. It's a painful reminder that despite their longing to marry or be a mother or to become pregnant that that goal has yet to be realized. Even in today's world of science and biological marvels, infertility prevents many from experiencing motherhood. Many women in previous generations were denied that special relationship of motherhood they were unable to experience the most wonderful joy of all being a mother today we're going to look at one woman's story it was a journey many can identify with her one and only hope and desire her only desire was to be a mother we're going to follow her journey and i'd like you to turn with me to first samuel first samuel 1 first chapter of first samuel if you're looking for it in the Bible in the rack in front of you, it's on page 213. 1 Samuel 1, we're going to read the first 18 verses of 1 Samuel 1. There was a certain man from Ramathim, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives, one was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't, why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying, praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way, ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Our story begins with Hannah, our main character. And Hannah experienced something that all of us can identify with. Something called private pain private pain. Private pain is the hurt that we all experience in our innermost being. It's in our hearts. It's hidden from view of most. Private pain is too painful to share with anyone else, too humiliating, too embarrassing. There's no reason to talk about it because it's impossible to do anything about it. For Hannah, the pain was infertility. And only a woman can understand the deep-seated longing to have a child. It's normal. It's, it's a God-given. It's a, it's a healthy desire. Her private pain was one of unfulfilled desire. It says, God has given me the, this desire. Why would he leave this, this desire unfulfilled? Private pain. And on, on top of this unfulfilled desire was the pain of harassment. Harassment. Because of her inability to have a child, adding to her private pain, she was harassed. It says in verse 6 and 7, her her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And this went on year after year till she wept. Say, wow, you know, pain is bad enough when it's hidden. But when someone else calls attention to your pain and harasses and abuses you for something beyond your control, that's beyond something we can handle. Then there was humiliation, humiliation. In this culture, bearing a child was the same as living. If one could not have children, women were not considered worth living. They were considered worthless or insignificant. Women in this day and age had no other role. They didn't have the choice of marriage or career, children now or later. Children were their career, their role, their value and validation without Children, a woman felt totally valueless and worthless. Today, of course, we know the true value of of women quite apart from childbearing. Not then. So private pain, nobody truly understood. And and of course, Hannah's husband is clueless. Hannah's in pain, she's being harassed, she's hurting so bad that she can't even eat. And he says, aren't I worth more than all those kids? Hey, get a clue, get a clue, Elkanah. Private pain. How about you? What desire has God placed deep in your heart that is still unfulfilled? A healthy, wholesome, God-given desire. And, and you have a gnawing emptiness, a, a pain of this unfulfilled desire. Your, your private pain may be what Hannah's was, infertility. Or it may be something different. A secret place of discouragement, an unanswered prayer, hidden areas of hurt that you don't let anyone else see, wounds that you experienced in the past, a God-given desire that remains just that, just a desire. For some parents, the source of pain may be that child or relationship that is broken. So dashed dreams and harassment and humiliation. There's a a real sense of desperation for Hannah. And out of her private pain comes number two, a desperate prayer. Desperate prayer. The the text describes Hannah's state. In bitterness of soul and greatly distressed, she wept much as she wept bitterly. In great anguish and grief. These were not nice bless me prayers. There was an intensity, a desperation, an anger and bitterness. These were prayers like we read the psalmist David write. Hannah was a a desperate woman, and in her desperation, her prayers were intense and full of emotion. A tormented woman pouring out her soul to God. And what was her desperate prayer? First of all, it was, see me. See me. God Please, see my misery. See what I'm going through. No one else sees. No one else notices. No one else can understand. See me, God. Nobody knows. Just please see me. Secondly, remember me. Don't forget me. Why? Hannah felt that God did not see her pain, and she felt that God had long since forgotten her. Have you ever felt that way? You pray, see me, God, remember me. Maybe you've prayed to God that way. All throughout history, people have prayed prayers of absolute desperation to God. See my misery, see my pain, don't forget me. And you know, when we pour out our hearts to God, God's not going to strike us dead. He knows what we're thinking in our heads and in our thoughts, so he's not going to be surprised when we verbalize our thoughts. One thing I learned a long time ago, God's not shocked if I put into words what I'm thinking in my head. Pray it. Pour it out to God. The third part of our prayer was, use me. Use me. Give me a son. She tells God specifically what she wants. In this cry, give me a son, is a cry for significance. This was a cry to God to do something of worth through her. God, use me. I feel useless. I feel worthless. I'm good for nothing. Do something with me. How many of us have had that cry in our heart? We feel worthless, useless, unused, or unusable. So we cry to God, use me. Do something with me. For some, the cry is obvious. For others, it's hidden and and it's quiet. A, a, A desperate cry and a desire for significance. I need to know I matter. I need to know that I can make a difference. I need to know that I have a purpose in this world. And this cry for significance isn't just for the young seeking to make their way in this world, starting out. It applies to those that are older, maybe recently retired or seeking to find out what to do. It's for new parents and new grandparents, recently bereaved, people who are left without the spouse or family member, asking, what am I on earth for? What's the purpose of all this? Why am I still here? Something greater or beyond myself. God, use me fulfill my purpose for being created and for my continued existence for my life now today one of the greatest mysteries on earth is that we as people can pray to the god of the universe and he answers he answers he hears him and he answers especially prayers of desperation in second chronicles 7 14 and 15 says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, he says, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I will listen. God answers prayers of desperation, humility, and need. How desperate are we? I think that we're just starting to realize here in America how desperate we are as a nation, the culmination of all the sins of, a, of our nation. Desperate prayers, not only for us individually, but as, as a nation, as a city, as a state. Now Hannah prayed a prayer of desperation and she included a vow in this. She said, I will give this son back to you for your service. No razor will ever be used on his head. Now what was that all about? That statement about razor on his head had to do with a Nazarite-type vow. It was characteristic of of someone who was set apart for full-time service to God. Now, the question is, did, did Hannah have to make that vow? Was she bargaining with God? Was God's answer dependent on this part of the vow? No, it wasn't. But because of her private pain and desperate prayer, through her hurt and despair, God is going to do something incredible. Now, as she prays, Eli, the priest, observes her unusual behavior, her pouring out of emotion, pain so private, she speaks without making sounds, and he thinks she's drunk, and she replies, I have not been pouring wine or beer into my body, I've been pouring out my soul to God. Conventional wisdom says we try to fill our painful lives. We try to anesthetize our pain with diversion or alcohol or drugs. We try to salve our pain by taking things in. People take drugs, they eat comfort foods, they drink, they seek diversions or pleasure to cope with pain. It does not work. The solution for our private pain is not to take something in, but to pour out that pain to God. Hannah said, I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Private pain, pour out your pain in desperate prayer to God. As we pour it out, we give it to God, we let him have it, we let him carry that burden so we don't have to carry it. We were not designed to carry those burdens, those pains. That's why God said, Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Pouring out our pain, letting God carry it. So out of this private pain and this desperate prayer comes number three, God's promise. God's promise is given through Eli as he answers and says, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And you wonder, how did that impact Hannah? Now, Eli, Eli didn't even know what her request was, but he knew her who her God was. And God's promise produced three things. Now, first, it was hope. Produced hope. Out of faith, looking at God, a desperate prayer came a promise. And that promise produced hope. Hannah needed hope. She didn't yet see the answer, but, but it was hope that was produced by faith. Hebrews 11.1 one says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Secondly, God's promise was an expression of God's favor. This is letter B is grace. Grace is unmerited favor. All answers to prayer are birthed in faith and granted by grace. God's goodness. All gifts by God. And God's promise finally produced grace let her see joy it says her face was no longer downcast this promise which she accepted by faith granted by god changed her entire life she had faith that god had heard god had seen and god would answer and that produced joy her her circumstances had not yet changed but her heart had changed and her entire countenance had changed her hope her faith brought joy that transcended her visible present circumstances. And the question is for you, where you are today, do you need hope today? God sees, God remembers, God hears, and God answers prayer. Finally, we see that God had a plan, God's plan. God is in control. Sometimes we wonder, we look at our lives and we say, Nobody. God, there's no way you could be in control of this. But in verse 5, it said, The Lord had closed her womb. Verse 6, because the Lord had closed her womb. Moving on to the story, it said, The Lord remembered her in verse 19, she conceived and gave birth to a son. Verse 20, I asked the Lord for him. Twenty three, may the Lord make good his word. Hannah has a son and brings her son Samuel to the house of the Lord in Shiloh and gave him to Eli for a lifetime of service. Verse 27, it says, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Now, Hannah is thought to be the main character in this story. But the main character is really God. It's really God. See, the nation of Israel was soon going to be leaderless, and only God knew that. God raised up a leader, a deliverer, a great man of God for all Israel, Samuel, all through the pain of one woman, an extraordinary mother. Samuel was that son, and because of Samuel's life and his mission and ministry, we eventually had King David and King Jesus and salvation for all of us. We, today, we are recipients of the gift given to Hannah. To Hannah, an ordinary Hebrew mother who experienced pain, humiliation, desperation, and finally the fulfillment of a promise. Hannah not only gave her pain to God, she gave God her most precious possession. She gave her son. She had no guarantees when she gave Samuel. She had no guarantees that she would have other children. She did receive other children. But she gave her only son. This may be a picture of what God and Jesus did for us. God giving his most precious possession his only son, Jesus. Deliverance through sacrifice, deliverance through pain. Sometimes our source of pain and our source of joy are one and the same. What is God's plan for your life today? Through the pain and suffering of one mother, God raised up a mighty leader and deliverer. What is your private pain? What is your desperate prayer? What promise are you waiting for God to give you out of his love and grace? God has a plan rooted deeply in his love for you and those that you love. Remember in all of this, you are not alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us this story as an illustration and understanding of who you are. And Father, I just pray that, that we would understand in a small way how your sovereignty works in and through our lives. And that in all of this, you are always aware, you see, you understand. And we are never alone. When I walk through deep waters, I know that you will be with me when I'm staying.